Everybody, what's going on? It's your boy Crypto Bobby. Hope you are having a great day, great night, wherever you're watching or listening in from. Today, I have a very special interview for you. It is with Frank Shaparo, aka Frankie Scoops, of The Block, formerly Business Insider. And if you don't know Frank, I would suggest you, number one, follow him on Twitter. It's at FintechFrank. Uh, but Frank is one of the better crypto journalists in this space He's done a lot of really awesome work in investigative journalism, as well as he covers the institutionalization of the crypto space, I think as good or better than anybody else uh, in the cryptocurrency Bitcoin world, has a lot of really good Wall Street relationships in general. So this was a really, really fun interview, and I enjoyed talking to Frank on the subject of crypto journalism, the move of Wall Street into crypto, how long that might take, ETFs, and all that good stuff. But before we get started, I want to talk to you guys about today's sponsor, Audible. With Audible, you get access to an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, some of the best sellers, motivation, mystery, thrillers, memoirs, and a lot more. But you all know what the best ones out there are, and those are crypto books. Two of my favorite, if you're not familiar, Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper is one of the best cryptocurrency books, kind of walking through the foundation of Bitcoin, the creation of Bitcoin into where we are today in crypto assets, uh, which is somewhat of a guide to like crypto investing, I think are two of my favorite. Um, And Audible still has at this point in time, even if you're not into listening about Bitcoin because you're too busy listening to me right now, but Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, including Audible Originals, and the selection has gotten even better with more custom content made for members. Audible members can choose three titles every single month, one audiobook, and two Audible Originals that you can't hear anywhere else. Audible members also get access to exclusive audio fitness programs. I'm too busy drinking beer right now, but if you actually like working out and putting in physical effort, uh, you get access to exclusive audio fitness programs to start the new year off on the right foot. Uh, And to get started with this, go to audible.com slash crypto or text crypto to 500500 and listen for a change Definitely recommend going to audible.com slash crypto or texting crypto to 500-500. Okay, let's get into the episode with Frank. Have a special edition tonight of Crypto Happy Hour. Got the man, the myth, the legend, Frank Shaparo, aka Frankie Scoops on. What's going on, Frank? How's it going, man? Good, good. How's, uh, how's, How's life treating you? That's treating me well. If I was any better, I'd probably be two or three people. <laughs> well, I had a beard. Yeah, yeah, I got a, uh, it is happy hour. I know you got a little bit of booze. I made the stupid mistake of thinking that this, you can see on the live that this was actually a stout, but apparently I'm dyslexic and it is a rhubarb compote sour, which sounds absolutely disgusting, but that's the only beer I have in my fridge. So I'm going to drink it. Um, but what are you, what are you sipping on? I am, I am sipping on some Bullet Bourbon Frontier Whiskey. Oh, that's not bad. Right here. It's very delicious. It's very smooth. Um, I hate sour, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'm, I'm pouring one out for you. Yes, please, please do. I might pour this out myself. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as, as far as things go today, want to talk a little bit just about the work, you know, you do in the space you know, at the block right now, previously Business Insider. You've done a lot of work covering the institutionalization of crypto like traditional finance getting into the crypto game 
uh, and just have an interesting background in general. So I think a lot of cool stuff to to cover today that people will be interested in. And I will also be uh, not only putting this on the podcast, but keeping an eye on the YouTube comments here as well. So if you guys have questions, we'll definitely do my best to keep an eye on those so we can kind of uh, address anything interesting that might come in outside of your daily shill uh shout out to the guy shill and kin ecosystem already so we we got our first one but uh yeah we can we can hop into it now and i think one of the big things like i said before you know that you cover is like the institutionalization uh hashtag the institutions are coming um the herd is coming so <laughs> Want to just kind of get your take a little bit about like the work you do in that space. Maybe you can give some people a little bit of a background, you know, as far as like what you've reported on in the crypto landscape and where you think things are going from now. Yeah, that's thanks so much. Yeah, that's a good question. So where it is now is a lot. I think the space has finally figured out that institutions are definitely interested in this space, but they're starting to realize that they move a lot slower than people in crypto. I think a lot of, whether it's crypto, Twitter, or you know, developers, et cetera, uh, people in the space move, and you know, my team here at The Block, we move incredibly fast. That's not how large investment managers or large <laughs> uh, investment banks uh, operate. And so, although they, you know, there was talk in 2018 and in 2017 of, working groups at different large firms or, uh, um, you know, talk of them expressing interest in the market. Um, that doesn't mean necessarily, and I think we're starting to figure this out right now as we move into 2019, that interest on Wall Street in crypto, especially among firms that manage other people's money, means that immediately, and by immediately, I mean six to 12 months, that they're going to start making any sort of noteworthy or newsworthy move into the space. And I think Goldman Sachs provides probably the best example, right? They were kind of the ones that in 20, 2018 uh, made the biggest headlines about starting a cryptocurrency trading desk, right? That was the, that was the big news back in 20, 2018 that they'd have a desk and they made some hires that, um, and they had a New York times profile that they would, um, at the time, they were kind of the most notable firm on Wall Street to be making a move into this space. But now what we see is that it's, it was not overblown necessarily, but I think folks in the market, um, again, going back to my point, really did not think about how slow these firms move, right? So when yeah. you think about custody, they were supposed to, there was a Bloomberg report last year that they were going to be going into custody. Where that stands right now is, you know, really far off from any sort of tangible product from what my sources tell me. Is that a, uh, is that a construct of like regulatory uncertainty in the U.S. or is that also a construct of like the infrastructure not being fully built out? It's totally a construct of firms on Wall Street moving slow and wanting to not do anything that regulators would be uncomfortable with, right? So my... My sources at Goldman Sachs say they're at least six months away from even talking to regulators about a given custody product or about a given mm -hmm. or about certain moves in this space. So that's what the, we kind of thought 2019 would be the year of, inst of large institutions like Goldman coming in. Uh, I think 2018 was the year for them to learn about this space yep. and to sort of keep their toe in the water. 
now it's 2019 is going to be the year of them working with regulators, figuring out what they're going to do. And then 2020 maybe will be the year that they actually do something of, of note. And you're seeing that trickle down into some crypto na native firms, right? So I reported last week that Coinbase was making an interesting pivot for their institutional mm -hmm. uh, business away from the large hedge funds. And, you know, you think of firms like AQR, right, as an example, uh, you know, or Bridgewater or Two Sigma. Uh, those folks are not ready to trade in this market. And uh, Coinbase is sort of, Coinbase is, is moving away from thinking about onboarding those types of firms mm -hmm. and onto um, focusing on the crypto native firms, the crypto hedge funds, uh, just because I mean, when you think about onboarding a large firm like that, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be costly. It's going to require more services, more handholding than a firm like Pantera or yeah. uh, Block Tower Capital, which is used to this space, is used to the technical complications that arise from investing in this space. And so there's, there's two things happening, right? There's uh, firms like Coinbase that maybe went too far in the direction of, okay, this space is going to institutionalize. And at the same time, you have a slew of firms that, that are trying to capitalize on crypto's institutionalization, like ErisX, SeedCX, Backed, mm -hmm. who Fidelity Digital Assets, right? Which is going to function as a broker and custodian. Uh, but they haven't proven themselves yet. And so it remains to be seen if the demand is there if they're going to even launch in the first half of 2019, mm -hmm. right? Back was supposed to launch in November and then December and then January. <laughs> and now it's, you now know, it's TBD. I have one source that tells me it won't be till April when they launch. Right. So that, that doesn't mean that uh, the large firms aren't interested in, in this space or, or see the value proposition of digital assets and cryptocurrencies. It's just, Wall Street is very, very slow moving. When it comes to like the Wall Street entrance into into crypto, um, I think one thing that maybe either people are confused by or they might have questions about is, you know, is this a construct of, of Wall Street, like big firms like Goldman or whoever it might be, uh, being able to buy in custody like Bitcoin for their, you know, for their clients that may want to hold Bitcoin? Or is this more like Wall Street, whoever, like, no, these, these, uh, some of these hedge funds out there just trading Bitcoin, you know, up, down, sideways, whatever the hell it might be. Uh, what, which kind of way is, is the majority of, of the work being done? Is it more around like the custody so people can actually maybe buy and hold something like Bitcoin or is it more around the actual just trading of these assets as speculative instruments? So I think there's two things, two, two ways to answer your question. The, the first is, when, when you mentioned clients, right? Clients of some of these larger firms. When it comes to a firm like Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or JP Morgan, their clients right now are at the question asking phase. They really are coming to them asking how, um, how this entire ecosystem works, right? What is Bitcoin? How is Bitcoin different from Ethereum? Um, what are some of the use cases of the underlying blockchain technology? Uh, most of their clients aren't even at the point of Okay, ready to trade in this in, in this ecosystem. How are you going to custody my assets? Um, now, that's one side. At the same time, we are seeing uh, massive strides in the improvement of the market structure of this ecosystem. And 
the firms that are uh, trading in it, and many of them are the high frequency trading guys, mm -hmm. the prop shop guys that are trading their own money, um, the companies servicing them are making huge strides to improve the, in, uh, the uh, market structure. So you think of a firm like BitGo, which teamed up, um, as I reported earlier this week, with uh, Genesis Trading yep. to enable uh, BitGo's institutional custody clients to then be able to buy and sell through BitGo with Genesis providing the quote. And through that setup, none of those funds need to leave their cold storage, right? And so on one side of things, on the, on the massive big firms that we all like to think about and would love to see headlines as the uh, headlines of them entering to crypto, most of their clients are still figuring the space out. But the crypto native firms that have been here for a while uh, are pushing firms like BitGo, like Coinbase, like uh, Blockchain uh, to move further in developing the, the market structure. You have Blockchain with a guy like Jamie Selway, who is working on, on developing auctions and algorithms and building out their OTC desks. Stuff like that is still yep. happening. Uh, it's just in that sort of dichotomy. Uh, and that dichotomy, right, that, that sort of has taken, taken shape. For sure. I think one question uh, that I saw a little bit in the comments, hashtag ETF soon, one ETF. Any thoughts yeah. on the ETF? And I know backed isn't necessarily the ETF, but like, yeah, timing on, on when that might be, I think, you know, uh, you know, VanEck is maybe the closest one or rumored to be the closest one. Is that something that, that people should have any expectation of in 2019 or is that just completely overblown? The ETF is interesting. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Joe Saluzzi, who's a broker in equities and a very, um, he, he's a skeptic of the space overall, but he, he said we should start charging issuers for every ETF application, it seems like almost we've had you know, <laughs> dozens of these things. And and I said to him, maybe we could start using that money to, to pay off crypto scam victims. Um, do we see an ETF in 2019? I mean, with this, I mean, who knows how long this government shutdown is going to last, right? It's true. Well, there was that CoinDesk article that was really great uh, that sort of looked at where um, how how the government shutdown is impacting crypto. Uh, developments with the ETF being a notable one. And so uh, I actually think that's kind of a big factor, right? Yeah. Uh, depending on how long this thing goes on there, the, the SEC is so much more interested in cracking down on some of these scammers and cracking down on, on you know, blatant, uh, uh, blatant examples of fo folks circumventing securities laws that the ETF might be on the back burner. Um, it, I think it depends on the price, right? If, if, the market continues to shred uh, billions. There won't be that liquidity there, which was one of the issues. Mm -hmm. On the exchange side, though, I think we're seeing huge strides that might um, uh, mollify the Securities and, and Exchange Commission. Things like market surveillance, Coinbase has been building out their market surveillance program. Uh, Gemini obviously has their own uh, mark, uh, or rather, excuse me, they're using NASDAQ Smarts technology to, to surveil their markets. Um, and so stuff like that is improving. And so it's, it all depends on the exchanges really for the ETF. And I've written about this before. If they start getting their act together, if some of these groups that they founded, there's a few different SRO yep. wannabe groups, um, one led by Gemini, one led Can, by Coinbase. 
For, for anybody who's not familiar with what an SRO is, can you talk maybe a little bit about what that is? Totally. Well, these are like free baby SROs and an SRO is a self-regulatory organization. And, you know, we have things like FINRA and U.S. equities that basically provide a platform for firms in the space, exchanges and brokers and, and alike to come together and, and define what are best practices, what are best, what, what, what defines best execution, uh, meaning what defines uh, if I'm a broker and I'm thinking about where I'm going to route a client order, how am I going to ensure that that order is priced at the price uh, at the best price and at the best time for my client? Yeah. Uh, so an SRO addresses a lot of these market structure type questions, and we see a few of them popping up. What What's key though is for that is for the exchanges to come together, uh, and it's 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 unfortunate that you have like three of them, right? With Gemini sort of leading one, mm -hmm. leading the other, um, when they really should, there should be one, right? And they, yeah. and they should be coming together. And and the problem, the problem, Rob, is that they kind of have their Silicon Valley hats on a little too strong, right? In uh, as much as they want to be the Uber or they want to be the Facebook of this ecosystem, when that's not how markets work, right? There is never going to be one exchange. There is never going to be one broker. Mm -hmm. uh, Traders and investors, especially institutional investors, want options when it comes to where they're going to trade. And so this, this notion that I sort of sense from the market that uh, Gemini can't, can't work with Kraken and Kraken can't work with Coinbase is really something that I know we started at the beginning of this question yeah. talking about yeah, but it actually does tie into it. Uh, if they can't cooperate to set best practices and they can't cooperate to figure out how we can stomp out manipulation together, then that makes the ETF harder. Um, but at the same time, you do see some improvements. So the question is, um, you know, will there be an ETF in 2019? I think we're definitely on track. I think the chances are 50 to 70% higher than last year. Gotcha. When, when you look at like the institutionalization of crypto or just talk about for the, the, the main Wall Street finance herd entering it. What what would you say is like the biggest misconception that like the average retail trader has about the institutionalization of of crypto right now? What is the biggest misunderstanding? I think we hit on a few points, right? That um, they move faster than, mm -hmm. they, uh, rather that they move as slow, <laughs> very slow. Just because, I think one misconception is just because you have stuff like. Um, you have things like back pushing out their launch date or Goldman still saying the same thing they said three months ago, which is we're exploring all of our options. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at that as skeptically as some folks on, on crypto Twitter and, and elsewhere might. Um, obviously, you know, you, you want to take any sort of press release with a grain of salt, but I think there, there is some truth to this notion as, Hey, like we're not doing anything concrete, but we are interested in this space. And I think, uh, I think there might be some truth to that as opposed to just a cop-out type of answer. I think they are interested in, but at the end of the day, right? Like this is a hundred, I mean, when a lot of these announcements and a lot of these, um, a lot of news was breaking about Wall Street moving into crypto, the market cap was 500 plus. Yeah. Plus. Uh, th there is no. a- <laughs> Now we're not. Now we're not. And it could just be, it is a faction to an extent of just, you know, at the end of the day, you're looking down at, at, you know, not a piece of paper, but you're looking at things on paper and saying, 
this is a hundred billion dollars, right? I mean, it, it's it's minuscule compared to what trades and equities, stocks, mm-hmm. you know, bonds and and fixed uh, fixed income, um, where a lot of the time it just doesn't seem like it's worth it. And and the way that a lot of these funds are structured, right, is so you know you look at it like a massive hedge fund, right? There's no okay, we're going to do something exploratory, um, give you some money to play with and figure out how to trade this market. It's very systematic. It's incredibly systematic. And so unless there is a glowing opportunity where they're going to make a a million dollars on something very quickly, uh, it's kind of not going to be put right there at the, it's going to be put on the back burner. It's not going to be prime. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so just got one question from somebody that I think is somewhat interesting and kind of, I think applies a little bit. So this is, this is I think helpful for, for two things. So number one, this kind of reminded me of the talk now about Russia buying $10 billion of Bitcoin. And I made a video kind of giving my opinion that I thought it was bullshit. Um, but somebody basically said, could institutional money already be entering into the crypto market under the radar? And it kind of goes to the point where a lot of people, when I said the the Russia um, Russia buying $10 billion with the Bitcoin, I thought was, was bullshit because they're not well, buying $10 billion. They're not buying 20% of the Bitcoin supply, quote unquote, under the radar. There's no way to really do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, maybe could you talk a little bit like... No, I think that's a really astute question. I think the, the, it's... it's the question speaks to how not black and white this is. This yep. isn't institutions are coming, institutions aren't coming. You know, there are a lot of trading firms that uh, make markets on, uh, I won't name any exchange, but on international exchanges that are not <laughs> customers that, um, that operate through domiciles, right? Mm-hmm. And massive trading firms in the United States, some of the biggest are making markets, arbitraging um, on, on international Asian exchanges. And they're not putting out press releases about it. They're not, they're not announcing it. They're not saying, hey, our domicile in, in you know, Bermuda is, is trading on a Seychelles-based uh, cryptocurrency exchange. They're making you know? too much money. They don't need to tell anybody else. Yeah, exactly. But they are. So, yes, that, I mean, 100%. Yeah, I mean... Uh, especially among more secretive type firms, um, totally. Yeah. Um, and and to that point too, I think the the thing I don't know how much you've seen about it, but the the Russia buying ten billion dollars worth of of Bitcoin, which I think dropped on Daily Hodl from a tweet, and then it kind of went into more detail, does bring up a really interesting point to in my mind around like crypto journalism journalism as a whole. Because one like random website picked it up and then the Telegraph picks it up and then like there's this whole cascade and it just gets more legitimate and more legitimate of a rumor. Um, but to that point, like with crypto journalism, like what what should like the maybe the average like retail investor or just participant in this space, like what should the people listening to to this right now like understand about like crypto journalism and like maybe some of the incentives yeah, or things? They only need to know one thing, and that is every morning when they wake up, read Frankie Scoops. They they go to the block crypto.com, scroll down our our feed, and we'll know exactly what they need to know. That's distinguishing the 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 signal from the noise. But no, a hundred percent. I mean, I think because this space is so active, and because this space 
has so many players trying new disruptive things, it, it, it amplifies the level of noise and, and rumor and, and scuttlebug out there. Um, and so it's, it's, all about, it's all about reading the most trusted media sites in this space, whether it's our site or, or Breaker or Coindesk or mm -hmm. others. Um, I mean, a lot of these, I mean, there are dozens of them. Someone sent me one in my DM a couple minutes ago, and I do think there are a lot of honest folks trying to, to make news, but a lot of them don't have the tools or the wherewithal or the journalistic experience. You can't just be some marketer who goes and decides to, you know, watch, this is just a funny example, it doesn't exist, but Litecoin, ETH, CryptoNews.com, uh, and think that- Probably out there. It's probably out there. I mean, there's a lot of them. And, and slap some words on a page and think that that's how journalism works. I mean, um, there's one in particular that writes a lot about what's going on in the Wall Street world, and you've called them out before a ton, and really all they do is just make up, they make up words, they string them together, and they say that someone at Morgan Stanley told them. Yeah, I won't name names, but, or I won't name names for you, but in my opinion, Abacus Journal is a, is a one such website that literally just makes up sources specifically in regards to Wall Street and says, ex-Goldman banker with two paragraphs of quotes that are probably completely fabricated, but people read it and share it, and then they're also a good... Uh, example of somebody who pays for engagement on Twitter when they have one tweet that has 70 retweets and 100 likes. Um, I don't know. That's that's my personal opinion. But yeah, look at who's look at the bylines. You know, if you if you see a new site and you see uh, uh, something a story that interests you, go click on who wrote it and and try to Google them and see what their their previous history is. And if it, it's suspicious, if it looks suspicious to you, then I'd probably ignore it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and like, as far as things go for you, when you are are working in the in the journalism space, um, what do you think are I'm trying to think of looking at some of these? RC Phantom, he's not drinking. Thought this was happy hour. He is drinking. We're both drinking. He's got some bullet bourbon. I have a disgusting sour beer that I thought was a stout when I picked it out, and he just slammed his bourbon. So. More power yeah. to them. <laughs> Here. And I guess, so So one one portion about crypto journalism, I guess in my overall like opinion here, is a lot of people will, a point about biases and things like that within an individual's reporting, uh, especially in the space, because there's a lot of, it's it's almost fanatical and religious in some respects. Like how how do you, when it comes down to, you know, when it comes down to that, how do you like address the the concerns that people have around biases or a lot of the feedback? Because it's it's really interesting as far as it goes, because it's like one of those things. I feel like it's like crypto, politics, religion, and maybe like sports. Everybody's just nuts about. No, it's important too to, to think about um, because. Um, I mean, this is people's money, right? I mean, there's, there, there's something about finance, financial journalism that requires almost that extra level of distance, right? And when you're a crypto first publication, there's always a question hanging over your head. Well, if you're, if you're this into it, then, you know, you must have your own sort of personal take. And mm -hmm. uh, the way we operate, right, is we have researchers and analysts 
um, who using both their own biases and and judgment will put out pieces uh, to inform our readers. But we also have journalists who are just, you know, waking up every day, looking at what the stories are for every person in this ecosystem, not one group over the other, not uh, one faction over the other, but the entire ecosystem to inform them to be better traders if they're traders, better developers if they're developers, um, better financial professionals if they're a financial professional. And um, I mean, personally for me, you know, I don't, I don't trade. I've never, I have some Bitcoin, very, very, um, I've never sold any of it, right? Um, and the only skin I have in this game is, and the only thing that has brought me success is not, you know, trading or making money, but telling good stories. And so as far as that's concerned, it's, 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 it's really where the, the, you know, the buck stops for me. Before we get into the rest of the interview with my man, Frankie Scoops, got to get back to my guys over at Audible. What would it look like if we all actually listened more? Like I probably should have listened uh, to Frank during this interview. What would it all look like if we listened more? Listening to audiobooks inspires us, motivates us, even brings us closer, but um, you know, not for a lot of the crypto community because let's be real, everybody in the crypto world Nobody's close. But outside of that, there's no better place to listen than Audible. Get your first audiobook free along with two selected Audible original titles and exclusive fitness programs for those of you who are trying to get yoked up for the new year when you start a 30-day trial. So take the time to actually listen on Audible. Just visit audible.com slash crypto or text crypto to 500 five zero zero to get started let's get back to frankie scoops and so i have two i have two more questions for you that i want to keep here all night um <laughs> but yeah, one, one, <laughs> one of i thought the 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 cooler stories that you ran recently was around blockchain terminal uh sure. and there was a lot of i thought that was a really interesting piece of investigative journalism and i know some aspects of that got a little 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 haywire outside of that but like, what's the process of, of doing the investigation around something like that, where you, know, you kind of go in and you put together this really long piece of, of, of content that was, I think, really informative and shocking to a lot of people. Like, yeah. how long does it take to put something like that together? How do you kind of understand all the constructs of that? I think that's a good question, but I'll start by answering what, what happened as a result of that story and what happened as a result of any important story in any space. Um, after that story went out, you had a massive lawsuit filed by FactSet against Blockchain Terminal. Yep. Uh, $7 billion data uh, technology Wall Street firm. Yep. You had the FBI open an investigation into Blockchain Terminal. Um, and you had obviously a lot of attention uh, paid to. Uh, what, it, what, what I think blockchain terminal spoke to is um, you may have folks from very respectable backgrounds and there were many people who worked for that company who were honest, smart, hardworking people, many of whom were geniuses in fact, many of whom are top of their field, who you know, got caught up in something that many people would say was not um, frankly was a scam right that's what a lot of former employees told me in the process of reporting that story mm -hmm. uh, so that's first right the ramifications of it being one i think that's the big takeaway 
And the second uh, big takeaway being, you know, there's almost like this Stockholm syndrome effect uh, that uh, I think looking at that, you can think, oh, what are people? When in reality it is, this was 140 people working on something that looked real, uh, which aspects of it probably were very real. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it was. Yeah. Um, the question, back to your real question, which was, how do you go into something like that? And it is all about verify, verify, verify. Um, you know, it's talking to one employee, ex-employee, talking to another, you know, ex-employee, matching up the stories and only reporting on things that match up 100%, right? And, you know, we were sort of... Um, that reporting was verified by a report in the Financial Post that mm -hmm. basically affirmed every claim uh, that we made. And so it's it's a tiring process. It's a long process. It requires, you know, hour-long conversations, hour-long meetings, um, uh, looking at documents, images. I mean, I, <laughs> the, the, the number of, like, folders I had on my computer, you know, connecting dots and such. <laughs> do you, do you have one of those big, uh, like the big investigations of where somebody's at home or like some detectives in the office with like actually, the, the thumbtacks and the strings leading to the founder, the CEO with the fake name, with the failed hedge okay, fund? So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't, but I did have, every time I would try to explain the story, right, I would, I, would, I had in my notebook an image all in red pen ink that, you know, showed the different sort of like groups within the company and how they were connected. Uh, and I couldn't explain the story before it was written without that chart that I had. And so I basically say, all right, I'm writing about this thing. I'd explain to be like, Frank, I have no idea. What, like that is just too complicated. I'd say, okay, here's my chart. Here's Boaz and here's how it's all connected, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> That's funny. Um, that is funny. Uh, let's see here. Hold on. I'm just reading some of these questions. What is the point of this live chat? If you don't communicate with your viewers? Well, because I, I feel like having this live chat and it's too freaking bad and that's your problem. So I'm sorry. No, I don't care. Hanging out with Frankie scoops. We'll take some questions at the end, but yes, sometimes I just want to have a conversation without interruption. Relax. But, uh, <laughs> I'm an asshole. Um, but getting into back to you, Rob. <laughs> getting into the last question before we take a little bit of Q and A here. Um, what is your and this is doesn't have to be. Well, we'll put it, put aside your journalistic integrity for a second. Um, what is your hottest take on in just the crypto landscape in general? Like what what what's the hottest take? Give it to me. Oh, hottest take. That's a good question. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not one for hot takes. Hottest, spiciest. Hottest, spiciest take. You're you're Italian. You have to have a hot take. This is your oh, last name. Your last name ends in an O. Italian is a, I you know something that makes some some folks might say makes me not Italian is that I really like pineapple pizza. I don't I don't think Bully's watching this, but if he is, we're gonna have to get if back to him, and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna on this. He knows where I stand on this. I mean. I don't know. As as Frank's thinking about this, you could throw in some some Q and A for us as he's as he's debating his hot take. Any any questions for Frankie Scoops? Throw them in the comments now. 
Yeah, no. Um, I'm just doing my thing. Yeah. I used to always tell people before I'd start interviews, I have no ideas. I just aggregate <laughs> smart ideas and then disseminate, disseminate them out into the masses. No, no, no own personal I'm thoughts. Kidding, of course. No, not really. I mean, give, me, give, me a hot, give me a hot food take. Give me a hot New York City food take outside of pineapple pizza. So we went out to cut, right, for Anthony Pompliano's live podcast. Yep. And I, told, I told somebody that I thought the tortellini was better than the steak. So that's, that, I, that, I got to back on that. That's, that's somewhat of a hot take. And if, not, if the questions in the important. comments, uh, as far as it goes, could not be around specific projects, might be better just industry in general. I see one question on Decentraland. Um, interesting. Can we take this project seriously? Decentraland's a cool project, but if you have guys have questions specifically on the industry as a whole, Considering Frank's background in crypto journalism, especially with like finance, Wall Street, um, maybe we could touch on that. I'll tell you, I was surprised by, I was, I'm surprised by how, um, I think a lot of us got caught up in Wall Street coming into this space. Yeah. Again, like rehashing some of the points I made. It's not that they're not, it's, it's mm -hmm. that they're taking a much more slower, much more cautious approach. Um, I guess a hot take that I have in writing about um, the rollout of potential Ethereum futures by some of these marketplaces, mm -hmm. it's, it'll be interesting to see of what, see if the SEC or the CFTC approves such a product given Ethereum's transition over from uh, proof of proof of work to proof of stake. Um, the CFTC wants to make sure that uh, they approve a product that they're going to know looks like what it is. They Bitcoin, yep. And so Bitcoin seems a little more decentralized. It seems a little more, okay, we understand what we're getting into. Whereas Ethereum uh, seems like it could move in different directions um, much more frequently, probably. And so... I wouldn't be surprised if the CFTC does not give the green light for a Ethereum uh, future. Um, obviously, firms can offer Ethereum forwards to strictly institutional investors, which would be mm -hmm. a way around. But I guess if I had a hot, I had to have a hot take off of some of my reporting um, as of late, it would probably that be be that that um, it might be more difficult for a firm to get approval for futures tied to ethereum gotcha you think and i know you mentioned that is due to a little bit maybe the the more centralization than bitcoin and, and the transition from proof of work to proof of stake would you i guess would you classify the the initial crowd sale as part of that centralization do you think that'll be an issue that they have to overcome as well um would just be the fact that ethereum was started through yeah, an ico yeah. um I think that that's, that's a very interesting, I, I haven't formed my own opinion on it, but I do think it's very interesting. Clearly what the SEC has said is that in its current form, right, Ethereum mm -hmm. is not, or they, they, what's interesting is they didn't, they didn't even say it's not a security. And I think lawyers agree that language is very important. Uh, they said that it shouldn't be regulated as a security, mm -hmm. uh, which may which may not be different or in its current form, it shouldn't be regulated as a security. So if Ethereum does something different in two or three years, maybe it should be then. Um, 
who really knows? But the crowd sale definitely uh, raises some interesting questions. Um, clearly, uh, it seems like the SEC is in is is at a place where they think that it shouldn't be considered given the evolution it's taken since then. Um, in terms of the future, uh, I think some folks would say that's something they're thinking about. That's something that the CFTC is thinking about. Because remember. You know, just because the SEC or one representative of the SEC says in its current form it's yeah. not a security, doesn't mean that the CFTC isn't going to think, okay, we're 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 looking at approving futures tied to this uh, potential commodity. Uh, should we think about how the crowd sale might come into play, or how um, the transition from proof of work to proof of stake might come into play? Is Good point. They absolutely might think about those. Things. Is that something too, as like a follow-up question to that? Um, I think it's really interesting the number of regulators in the United States that have like basically a say on crypto, even though there's like no clear, because you have the SEC who says one thing, the CFTC says another, you have the IRS who says another. How does that affect just like the companies you talk to? Like, is there, does it depend upon like the business they're in as far as the guidance they take? Like it's it's just really interesting that there's no specific set of rules yet, and there's all these different regulators that are kind of trying to posture for for control. It seems like I don't want to pick on uh, Ledger X specifically because uh, their CEO is a really great guy. It's a really smart company, but they've had, from my last count, four or five different chief legal officers or chief compliance officers in the past since they started five years ago, and and I think. Crypto lawyers are making out um, better than anyone else in the space. Oh, that's hundred percent true. It speaks to just yes, it is not easy, and sometimes you you have to feel bad for um, the exchanges who, you know, have to operate under you know money licensing laws under the SEC, under the CFTC, um, and you know, for as much flack as crypto gets for being outside the paradigm of regulation, it'd be great if just one day they said, all right, we're all going to, they're all going to fall under this proxy or under this, you know, the auspices of this one agency. Um, and yes, it is a headache. It is. And, and frankly, they're, they're really, you know, you want to talk about Wall Street firms. When I was at Business Insider and I talk about, um, you know, talk freely with sources and stuff, there was far less far less of a worry about how their words might be perceived by a regulator than in, in the crypto world today. Mm -hmm. Maybe not 2017 or yeah. ICO, ICO, but today it's sort of like, uh, I, you know, I'll ping someone about a question and say, Frank, I'd really like to hop on the phone with you about this, but you know, I don't want legal up my rear end tomorrow morning. Yeah. Uh, because you know, there's so much uncertainty and there's so much uncertainty about what is kosher and what isn't. For sure. Um, yeah, 100%. And so one one question, and we'll, we'll take this as the last question, but I think this is interesting because that at least for, and I know, granted, all of you guys are not in the US um, that are watching, maybe 50% of you are, but I saw a question about Gemini and Frank and I are both in New York. Um, and Gemini has this massive ad campaign in New York around crypto needing rules. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, Coinbase, which was, in my opinion, basically like the most conservative company in the crypto space, has now been adding a number of, of crypto assets, yeah, um, right. which was kind of like 
unheard of or really would seem out of character maybe a year ago um any any like just thoughts generally as far as like the directions it it, it almost seems like a little bit of a divergent path in terms of like uh gemini now saying you know crypto needs rules and we're going to follow them we're going to establish them and coinbase kind of has always seemed very you know very focused on regulation and compliance but now basically like saying okay the government isn't necessarily providing us with the clarity that we want so we're just going to go and do our own thing i'm sure they have very strong legal opinions but at the same point in time it's kind of interesting to me i don't know if you have any thoughts on that well if i were to make a guess based off of what i've reported on and what i've seen um clearly coinbase is trying to take a more international approach mm -hmm. to the way they uh the way they uh, list new coins and the way that they run their business, right? It's not just about what assets can we list and, and, and how can we structure our business in a way that will make firms like Goldman Sachs or other companies comfortable because those companies are only interested in probably trading one or two assets, yep. right? Uh, and so it's not necessarily that, you know, at the end of the day, all these firms want to make money, right? And so probably it wasn't that Coinbase wanted to come off as the most conservative company for that, the, the sake of coming off as the most conservative company, but maybe because they were trying to attract a certain uh, clientele. Uh, now, as you know, I reported last week, they're looking at staying or sticking with the crypto native firms. Mm -hmm. it, it, it might not be uh, that unwise for them to go into uh, international markets and to list more and and when i talked to dan romero about this the strategy sh uh shift he mentioned how certain types of funds want to list uh or rather trade and these are his words more exotic coins mm -hmm. um whereas with gemini maybe they're making a different bet you know yeah they're, maybe they're trying to attract uh since they're in new york and they're right here and you know they brought on some they brought on some interesting talent including uh dean uh hightower saletto who who came from uh a company that was a part of NASDAQ and who brought on a head of business development from um, Goldman Sachs. Maybe, they, maybe they're sticking. I, I haven't spoken to them too much about it, but maybe they're sort of sticking to that. Okay, we're going to lure in the, um, the, the folks, whether they're individuals or whether they're institutions that um, may not care about trading a diverse amount of coins, but uh, operating within a more slower moving uh, regulation centric uh marketplace yeah yeah that's i think that's a good point it almost seems in some cases like you know gemini is kind of sticking out that um you know the the more like wall street institutional focused um strategy whereas coinbase might be in some cases kind of like getting back almost a little bit to like the retail roots um and, and, and almost competing like directly more more directly with the binance in some in some ways i think one can make that argument i think that's a good i think that's that stands to reason. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, coming to the end of our time here, anything you want to to leave off with or anything maybe I didn't cover that that you'd want to to tell the folks that are, you know, watching listening right now? I think that we covered a lot of ground. I finished my bourbon finally. <laughs> this beer was disgusting, by the way. Thank you. Did you finish it though? Did you, or no? uh, I got like one sip left. It was, a, sip it was a full pint, but it's it's oh, it like it's like sour. Oh, it's sour. It's a shocker. It's a sour beer. It's sour. My ex likes sour, so. She's sour. <laughs> well, thanks for me up. Well, <laughs> well, I appreciate the time, Frank. Um, if you guys are not 
familiar with Frank, um, his Twitter handle, it's, uh, should be at the top of the screen, or if you listen on the podcast, it's at FinTech Frank. Um, if you want to finish off with a little pitch on just you and the block, uh, that might be cool for anybody who's not familiar just with like the work you do over at the block. Yeah, totally. So, you know, here I am at the block. We are a very, very young, new crypto media research uh, company that is pumping out exclusives that have been followed by literally Reuters. Uh, Bloomberg has cited our reporting. The Financial Times has cited our reporting. Uh, We've been followed by the Wall Street Journal. We've been followed by Fortune and Forbes um, because of the hard work that uh, our team has has hard work that we do and uh we want to help folks sift through the noise and the signal and we have a wonderful inviting website that helps folks do that and i am focusing mostly on the wall street trading side of things here so if if you need help figuring out what is a bs and what is not we're the site to visit awesome well, I appreciate the time, man. Thank you no so worries. much. And thanks, thanks everybody for, for watching and listening as well. Appreciate it.